Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. I'm excited to introduce my next guest. Professor Henri Giles has worked independently over the years as a writer and producer for broadcast and cable television, corporations and web-based media, developing documentaries, lifestyle programming and marketing strategies. She wrote, produced and directed the Emmy award-winning documentary Reflect, Reclaim, Rejoice, Preserving the Gift of Black Sacred Music, narrated by acclaimed actress Alfre Woodard. The film underscores the cultural significance of this original American art form and the need to preserve black sacred music. Professor Giles also co-created and produced the award-winning film Waiting in the Wings, African-Americans in Country Music for CMT MTV Networks. The groundbreaking documentary highlighted the contributions African-Americans have made to the genre and showcased young performers attempting to carve out careers in the country music industry. So many television shows that this professor has worked on and this producer and writer has worked on, including working with Harper Productions, The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Food Network, The Hallmark Channel. I worked on projects with Oprah and Gail. Incredible to have you on the program. Professor Giles, welcome to Evening Words. I think you might be on mute there. I don't know if we can hear you yet. Oh, okay. Hi. Hi. Thank you for joining us on Evening Words. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Now, now, first of all, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Is it hard G or soft G on the on the on the Giles Giles? It's Giles, Giles okay. and it's Henry. Henry, it's as in Henrietta. Henrietta. I got it, Henry Giles. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, you know, sometimes I want to get it right, make sure we're we're pronouncing things the the the, the correct way. But first, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, uh, I'm so uh, happy uh, to be here. No, no, it's, it's great. It's great to have you here. Now, there is some controversial stuff I want to talk to you about with the out sort of the backlash against Beyonce and the country record and all that stuff. But before we even get to that piece, it is Black History Month. So I know that you've been really, really busy. And between your research and your work in the kind of sacred and gospel music space and your research and work in the kind of country black folk music space, talk to us a little bit about some of the conversations you've been having over the course of Black History Month 2024. Um, this has been a, a busy month. I am on the um, faculty at the University of Tennessee at Martin, and we are really the, the only university in, in the country that has a month-long civil rights conference. There are, of course, other universities that will have, um, you know, different programs, but we have a month-long roster of speakers to to come in so we've we've had some some interesting guests so february like at other universities and and institutions is a busy month Mm -hmm. um tomorrow we will have um, dr eddie gloud um joining us so we are just trying to bring in people with different voices. Mm-hmm. We had Roland Martin last week. Awesome. And just trying to introduce our students as well as the community to people who have their fingers on the pulse of what's happening around us. Because, you know, as you well know, there is a lot of noise and nonsense <laughs> Come floating on. around us. Mm-hmm. And so we want to introduce our students to people who you know, to we want to introduce them to some of the the leading thinkers. Mm-hmm. And um, so so this month has has been busy. Of course, um, you know, last week 
with um, the announcement during the the Super Bowl that has created quite a bit of <laughs> of chatter as well with um, Beyonce mm-hmm. announcing the the release of this country project. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. lots going on. There is a lot going on, and and I feel you that there's a. I don't know if this is more pronounced now than it has been before, but it feels to me, Henry, like the backlash seems really strong and really concerted and, and honestly systematic in the sense that it like, it's addressing a lot of different things. You know, it seems like there's a lot of moving targets, you know, one week is uh, president Claudine gay. The next week it's this DEI. I think next week's they're banning books. And it's like, they don't want black folks and especially they don't want black women anywhere. And and can you talk a little bit about how through your work, I mean, you do a lot in the media as well as your scholarship around the music and stuff. How, how does your work in the media sort of wrestle with that kind of like systematic backlash? It has been very interesting to observe what has been happening the last few weeks, few months. Mm. And I chalk it up as this fear of blackness. You mentioned Dr. Gay. It's it's like a a fear of black excellence. Mm. You read stories about um, students being kicked out of school because of how they wear their hair. Mm. So, you know, there are limitations or restrictions on our everyday freedoms. And it's really interesting when when you think about it. And I don't mean to be simplistic, but it it almost feels like a fear of mm. blackness mm. where you can't express yourself, where you have to conform. And if you don't conform, there will be hell to pay. Mm. And, um, you know, there are countless in instances of, of news stories that we see where there is this fear of blackness, it seems. Hmm. I mean, that seems like that's as old as this nation is. I mean, that's for us to be mm-hmm. dealing with that in the 21st century. That feels scary that that's, but I, I agree with you. It, it does, does. It does. Yeah. It, it feels, mm-hmm. it feels that way. And so, so I guess conservatives are afraid of Beyonce making a country record. Is that, I mean, I, admit, let me, let's back up. So, so we do a thing here at Evening Words where we do a Tuesday teaching where we ask scholars mm-hmm. and journalists to come in and teach about a, a concept or an area of the subject. Now, unfortunately, this week is so busy at Evening Words, we actually won't have a Tuesday teaching. So I want to do a Tuesday teaching on Monday okay. and, and ask you to teach us a little bit about the historical interface between black culture and the developments of country music in the United States. Oh, wow. That is a, um, that's a loaded question, Mm -hmm. but I I will try to break it down about, and in fact, it was actually 20 years ago, almost to the day Mm -hmm. that a film that I worked on along with Carla Winfrey Um, It was called Waiting in the Wings, Mm -hmm. African-Americans in Country Music. Mm. And it aired on CMT in 2004. That's the Country Music Channel, y'all. Okay, for for those checking. Country Music Television. That's right. Yes. And Carla and I always say that the backstory or the story of our being there Mm -hmm. could have been a documentary in and of itself. Mm. Um, but that was the first time that 
um, CMT that that network had ever produced any um, black centered programming. Mm. And so we pitched the idea to to produce this documentary because between my work and between um, Carla's work, you know, she's also a journalist. Mm -hmm. We had seen so many artists who who were black, black artists, but who had a love for country music Mm -hmm. and who had been trying to break into the industry. And so we pitched the idea to produce a documentary um, to CMT and they greenlit it. And so we produced this film. And um, it was truly amazing because as we talked about it, people were saying, what, you're doing a documentary on on country music? What is it going to be an hour long talking about Charlie Pride? (laughs) And what people didn't know or didn't understand, because so much of our history is suppressed and hidden and erased. Mm. Country music is our music. Country music has its foundations in black culture. Mm. Um, so when you go back and you look at the music and you look at the artists, um, people like D. Ford Bailey. D. Ford Bailey was the Grand Ole Opry's first star. And, and a lot of people um, label him as the first country music star. Mm. Um, this was, you know, years ago when Grand Ole Opry Grand Ole Opry was this popular radio show. I mean, it's still in existence today. Right. right. But this is um, this is someone who broke into country music playing the harmonica, and he played it so skillfully that people would tune in to listen to him. Mm. And um, you know, and then you look at the instruments, things like the banjo, mm-hmm. the banjo is created from an African instrument that's very similar. Mm -hmm. So a lot of of the music, a lot of the instruments that are even used today were um, inspired by instruments that are from Africa that came over with people who were enslaved. So there's no one who can say that country music you know, that that a black person has no business or no right singing country music because it is our music just as, you know, gospel music, sacred music, mm. rock music. Shall I go down the list? <laughs> you know, it's well, is, it's is all... there an American form of music uh, and, 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 and an indigenous Amer- American form of music that does not come out of the black cultural tradition? I cannot I can't think of one. (laughs) I can't think of one. And that's that's what's so amazing to me when people, um, you know, when we get this pushback Mm -hmm. from people who are saying negative things about Beyonce releasing this music. First of all, Beyonce does not need the country music industry. Hello. Uh, So so anything that she does is out of, you know, sheer joy for her or an appreciation of the music. I mean, she is from Texas. So people should not be surprised that she has a love for country music. And, 
you know, and, and, and she has given us um, offerings along the way. And um, people should also remember, I think it was back in 2016 when she performed at the CMAs mm-hmm. and, and people lost their minds thinking, you know, why is she here? And people getting up, walking out. So um, we, we, we've always had had this pushback. But again, historically, country music is as much of black people's music as it is so-called white people's music. Um, if you go back and you look at the history, you will see um, even entertainers like Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. Ray Charles had one of the most successful country and Western um, albums ever. Mm. And, you know, he was a huge star at the time. And I was fortunate enough to interview him. Wow. Once, and he talked he talked about how his label didn't want him to do that. And they were telling him, oh, you're going to lose fans. And he was saying, no, if I do this, I think I'll gain some fans. Wow. And so, you know, you have people like like Ray Charles, even the, the Pointer Sisters. And um, Wait, the Barry Pointer Gordon, Sisters had a, had a, the Pointer Sisters had a country record. I didn't know that. The Pointer Sisters had a and they were even um, they were nominated. They may have even won a Grammy or an award. Don't quote me on that. But um, uh, their album won an award, a major award. Mm-hmm. Um, even Mr. Motown, Barry Gordy. Barry Gordy had a country music label. Wow. And so throughout history, you know, we have seen we there, there are examples of black people having a having a hand in country music and, and really shaping the music. Mm-hmm. So there should not be any shock. There shouldn't be any pushback. But of course, we know there will be and there there has been. But as far as ownership goes, mm-hmm. you know, some people need to just go sit down because <laughs> black people have had black people have had um, a role in country music since it was country music. Yeah. Take all the seats. Did you did you experience <laughs> um, any of that kind of pushback when you did the documentary for CMT? Actually, yes. Mm. Um, there, there was some pushback, as as you can imagine. Um, the country music industry is, you know, it's it has been around a while, and <laughs> it has its own system, um, its own way mm-hmm. of doing things, and so we definitely experienced that i i remember having a phone call i won't call any names Mm -hmm. but this was an executive with one of the major labels on music row in in nashville Mm -hmm. and i was talking to this person about the project wanted to interview her um to talk about blacks and country music and this executive didn't know that I was a black woman. So she just spoke her mind about, um, you know, her thoughts of how ridiculous this project was. You know, what will they be doing next? You know, Indians in country music. And so she was having a a really a Confederate moment on a a call Mm. Uh, Mm. on a phone call. Mm. And, Mm. And unfortunately, 
the this was during the time where we didn't have um recording apps right right <laughs> right because that would have been the perfect time but i kept asking if she would like to go to lunch i would you know, I was saying to give oh, her a I, chance I, to I see you in person <laughs> because I wanted to see her face mm. Um, mm. when she saw me walk through the door because she she clearly did not know that I was black. And, um, you know, so she was saying all kinds of things about this. And, and so and I kept thinking, this is the person who a young black country artist would have to encounter right if they walked into that label mm -hmm. and so to hear her spew all of her um you know nasty thoughts about blacks being in country music that was really disheartening because i kept thinking you know i i didn't care what she said or, or thought about me but i kept thinking wow what about those artists that are going to be coming in you know, just wanting to do music, wanting mm -hmm. to do country music. Mm -hmm. Professor Giles, I feel like the, the Tracy Chapman moment at the Grammys is kind of an overload moment for them, right? For the for some of the white folks in the country music yeah. world. And, and But how do mm -hmm. we, if based upon your experience, like how do the artists and how do the fans, the black fans and black artists of country music, how do they square themselves with the confederacy imagery the good old boy oh network gosh. the redneck ideology the you know there there some of our you know this is philly so the list some of our listeners here are like country music what are you talking about it's like white racist <laughs> right. music like my producer nick is looking at me like dude are you really doing a segment on black people and country music <laughs> you know, like are you really doing this right now peterson but but I, I'm, I'm i'm curious as to how do you how do we square that circle it still has some of the simulacra if you will of the it confederacy does. Yeah. Yeah. it does i don't know how to answer that because yeah it is troublesome mm -hmm. it it's you know when you watch the when you watch videos and you see the imagery and you know like the 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 song a, a few months ago what try that in a small town yeah good thing. lord this is the blatant it's, racism of it all yes so I think it's just the love of the music. Mm -hmm. You know, country music has always stood on this platform about it being, um, you know, music with with good stories. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that is the pool. That's a lot of the pool. Mm -hmm. um, just the, the storytelling mechanisms of that music. But it would be hard for me to get past some of that that imagery and um, and and what so many of those artists stand for, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've I've worked on on shows in the past, entertainment shows that were geared toward um, country music audiences, mm -hmm. and and I will say I never, and this is the truth, I never had a negative experience with a country artist or um like a a manager or or anyone that's good i mean it it truly was a great experience mm -hmm. i learned a lot i did a lot of stories with all kinds of country artists mm -hmm. and they were always welcoming i never had anyone treat me differently even though you know yeah it was kind of shocking to see a black woman walk through 
the door and say, hi, I'm, you know, I'm here to do a story on you. So, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen a lot, Mm -hmm. but I honestly had a great experience, but I think so many of them are holding on to what country music that it just can't shake itself up. Mm-hmm. And it is that racist Confederate flag waving sort of, of, of vibe. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it can't divorce itself from that. It would be very troubles- troublesome for me. I, I am not a necessarily a country music fan. <laughs> there, there is some music and some artists mm-hmm. that I do enjoy. But um, it it would be hard for me to um, to step into that world, you know, to go to a show where Confederate flags are draped in the back and 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 all of that. So mm-hmm. 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 Um, I I don't I I truly can't understand the I guess the fandom the black fandom mm-hmm. which you know that that would be an interesting thing to to study we should work on that we we should we should i mean it reminds <laughs> me a little bit you know i went to school in the south i went, I went to duke undergrad and did a master's okay. degree in north carolina state so i was in not the mm-hmm. deep south but in the south for about six yeah. or seven years and it reminds me of the the kind of feeling like when you move into the rural parts mm-hmm. of the south it really felt like there's a lot more palpable, symbolic, and real and visible racism. Mm-hmm. But it's like the black folks who live with that every day. It's like we know who they are and where they are and what they're doing. And we're over here doing our thing. It's like a almost, I don't want to say it's peaceful, but it's like a sort of coexistence that mm-hmm. was that was not familiar to me coming from from the north. Even though I have family from the south, like when you live down there, you see like there's a certain kind of coexistence with racism that's a little bit different than I think what 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 northerners experience. It is and you touch on a really good point. I grew up in a small southern town. Mm-hmm. Um a small town in Tennessee in West Tennessee and it it is this sort of of coexistence. The the interesting thing about the county that I grew up in which is Haywood County, mm-hmm. it is predominantly black. Um and so that in and of itself mm-hmm. is different because even though you may have the numbers, mm-hmm. you didn't have the power. Mm-hmm. This is an area of the country that, you know, back in the 1950s, where people were trying to gain the right to vote. Mm-hmm. It was also the place where a lynching in 1940 took place. Wow. And as I said, I grew up there. Now, I wasn't born in 1940. I'm not. Of course. Metal, but um, I never heard about this until about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Never heard our parents talk about it. I mean, nothing. When I heard about it, I thought, you've got to be kidding. This took place in, you know, in Haywood County. Mm. So um, uh, there, there, there is so much. And, and it is it, it is palpable. You mm-hmm. touch you, you, you mentioned that earlier it is um but there is almost like this understanding of of place Mm. um where you can go where you should go and where you shouldn't there you go yeah uh professor Giles, i have a couple more questions for you but we got to take a break can you hold on and, and come back with us after the break 
Sure. Awesome. You're listening to Evening Words. I'm your host, Dr. James Peterson. We are live on WRD, 900 AM, 96.1 FM, in conversation with Professor Henry Giles, who's an independent writer, producer for broadcast and cable television, corporations and web-based media, who's worked on a grip of incredible projects, including a documentary for CMT and MTV, Food Network, Hallmark Channel, and others. She's also a scholar in her own right. Uh, studying sacred music and country music and black folk musical contributions to those genres. We'll be back after these messages. And now back to Evening Words with Dr. James Peterson on WURD 900 AM and 96.1 FM, Philadelphia. Welcome back to Evening Words. I'm your host, Dr. James Peterson. We are live on WRD, 900 AM, 96.1 FM. We're kind of doing our Tuesday teaching session on Monday with Dr. Henry Giles, who is, in addition to many, many other things, an independent writer, producer, and content creator, but she's also a university instructor at the University of Tennessee at Martin and teaches Martin and teaches in the communications department. Professor Giles is also currently pursuing the PhD in rhetoric and media studies at University of Memphis. So I'm excited about that with a research focus on African-American media representation. Professor Henry, welcome back to the program. Thank you. We were we were in conversations. I hate to interrupt when we get that deep. But we were in conversation about the strange kind of, you know, you know, the strange kind of world in which the South can be when you get to areas that are uh, inflected and informed by race in ways that we don't always think about on a day to day basis. And I think I think that is a good metaphor, at least between you and I and our mm-hmm. couple hundred thousand listeners that of the kind of the state of country music. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to move on to a different piece. And I do want to talk about your research a little bit, too, because. I'm curious as to how you see the state of African-American representation in media. But mm. one, one of the things in reading up about you preparing for this interview, I, I and I'm sorry if this question is too philosophical, but I love that you take a kind of what if philosophical approach to your work, especially on, in the, on the production side of things. And the reason why I like it, and then I'll, I will get to a question, I promise. The reason why I like it is because what I'm finding is in this moment where we're experiencing all this backlash slash blacklash, where it's coming mm-hmm. at us and it's making people feel defeated and it's beating people down in different areas. I, I'm, I'm like, there's like a flight to imagination for me, like wanting to imagine like what is possible uh, in the world. And, and I'm finding myself thinking more about the, or thinking more like the way that abolitionists think like beyond my own existence like what's possible so can you talk to us a little bit about what that what if philosophy is for you the and the ways in which possibilities i mean factor i mean obviously you did a black documentary on country music so (laughs) you are always asking that question but i'm curious as to how that philosophy factors into some of your other work Mm. wow well yeah that that is a question that leads a lot of my my teaching and a lot of my research. What if, and and a lot of it is like, what if people really knew about black people? What if mm. they really knew us? Not what they saw on television, not mm. from images that they have called together to try to create this definition of of who we are. But, um, you know, going back to, you know, to what you were saying also about just this feeling of so much coming at you, I think if we were to go back four years ago Mm -hmm. to May of 2020, 
and we all know what happened with George Floyd Mm -hmm. and just the heaviness of that. But even with all of that heaviness, I think at some point we all had this just a tiny glimmer of hope Mm -hmm. that something just might change. Maybe people will start to understand what we've been saying all along. Mm. And that lasted hmm, maybe five seconds. (laughs) And then it was this blacklash, Mm -hmm. as you said, you know, we saw how so many, um, you know, legend, how, how legislation played out. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was, was rolled back, you know, Mm -hmm. with voting and, um, no voting bill, rights. no right. Say no, no, no. George Floyd legislation for reform, please. None of that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So um, it's it's a a strange feeling for me when I when I look around. But with so much of what I do, I like to elevate blackness. Mm-hmm. I like to elevate our stories. And because a lot of people just aren't telling them, I cannot tell you how many times in the course of a week Mm -hmm. that my siblings and I will um, share an email Mm -hmm. between us, some article we found about either this historic person or Mm -hmm. this event that black people were involved in or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. We are constantly sharing things. And it's like, Dang, it's all new. No one has. has No one's talking about it. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it just brings to mind as a researcher, it just punctuates the fact that so much is hidden. Mm -hmm. So much is erased. And we we see that out in the open. People are saying that out loud now, Mm -hmm. what they don't want, what Mm -hmm. can't be taught. Um, so I just feel a strong connection to telling those stories, whether it's through documentary work Mm -hmm. or whether it's teaching, whether it's bringing something to the attention of, of my students. And I mean, I, I teach at a PWI, so a lot of, a lot of students aren't accustomed to discussing race mm. in class. And I've had a few of them tell me, you know, we don't talk about things like, <laughs> like this in, in other classes, but um, you know, I just try to pose topics to them to get them to think, mm-hmm. to try to unravel a lot of, of what grandma and grandpa and Nima. <laughs> and Papa have been telling them mm. about black people. Mm. Um, so I I take pleasure in in sharing those stories. Mm. And I I I just love telling our stories. There are so many of them, mm-hmm. some of them tragic, mm-hmm. some of them horrible, um, but then some of them that show our resilience, our mm-hmm. strength. My my research is actually looking at some historic events that took place in in the area that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the lynching before of mm-hmm. Elbert Williams. So my research is looking 
at that and also are you looking at like newspaper representations of that lynching or what 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 are the media representations connected to that that history there are not a lot of um media reports Mm. on that now what is interesting is i'll rephrase that there are not a lot of media reports in um you know from the brownsville paper brownsville tennessee Mm -hmm. um it was a, you know, it's the local paper. Mm-hmm. Not a lot was said about Elbert Williams. Mm-hmm. But when you look at papers like the Chicago Defender mm. and the Kansas City Star, I believe. Wow. It's, a news, it's, it's a newspaper in Kansas, Kansas City. Um, even I think the New York Times, mm-hmm. when you look at those other papers, they were talking about it. Mm-hmm. They were talking about this black man who was lynched in 1940 because he dared to start an NAACP chapter. Wow. Um, But local media, not so much. Hmm. And my research actually took a turn because initially I had planned to look at media and talk to people who knew about those events, Mm -hmm. talk to them and see how media shaped their sense of identity, their sense of blackness, Mm. because the representation in media, um, especially then when you're talking about during the Jim Crow era, Mm -hmm. was not great at all. That's right. Especially in in white owned media. So I wanted to know how those descriptions of us affected them. Hmm. Well, as the the more I got into the research, it shifted. And then their narratives, because I I interviewed six people. Mm -hmm. And actually, the oldest person (laughs) is um, Mrs. Mildred Roxborough, who lives in New York. Mm -hmm. She is, I believe, um, coming up on 98, if she isn't already. Wow. Still works for the NAACP. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yes. Um, as a consultant, mm-hmm. she always, you know, mm-hmm. she made that very clear. I'm a, I'm a consultant. So, but she still works for the NAACP. She grew up in Brownsville. So she knew um, Elbert Williams, who was wow. lynched. Wow. And so I interviewed her. But what came out from all of those interviews, it, it, wasn't so much about the media anymore. It turned into these stories about resilience mm-hmm. and resistance. Mm-hmm. How, even though they were in this southern town that was predominantly black, mm-hmm. but they had essentially no social or political freedoms, they took it back. Mm. And so those types of stories started coming through. And so that's what my research is on. It's it's looking at at these three events, this lynching, um, looking at um, the fight for voter rights. In fact, mm. there was a lawsuit um, that the the um, workers, black workers in Haywood County mm. and the neighboring county, Fayette County, that was the first federal lawsuit that was filed on behalf of black people wanting the right to vote. Mm. It was the 
it was the forerunner of the Voting Rights, Voting Act. Rights Act. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so that took place right there. And then I also look at um, school integration. Okay. I, I'm feeling, a, I'm feeling a, a lot of Ida B. Wells vibes in your, in your, <laughs> in your, in your work for real. And it's yeah. fascinating to me, Professor Charles, but we have like a minute left. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm curious, I love the history and, and I would love for you to come back on and talk with us more as your research develops and unfolds. And as you wrap up that, that, that PhD there, but I'm, I want to ask you a more contemporary question. Because, you know, we're black owned media right here in Philadelphia and, mm-hmm. you know, the the struggle to sustain and maintain black owned platforms is very real to us here at, at WRD. So when you look at 21st century media, talk a little bit about what do you see as 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 kind of an expert in the space? Obviously, there's not enough of it, but what do you right. see in terms of African-American representation in, in, in contemporary media? Wow. Well, the fact that, you know, your show is online, I think that opens up all kinds of doors. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to access black content on different platforms. I think streaming has definitely uh, created some opportunities for black people, mm-hmm. um, for black messaging. And, you know, I'm I am optimistic that with these different platforms, more stories about how brilliant we are, those stories can can come forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am hopeful. And, you know, we there are so many layers to us, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not just that we are entertainers or performers you know we are all kinds mm-hmm. of of people um professional people in fact um dr edith um peterson mitchell mm-hmm. um who you you may know um she recently passed away mm. um she was from stanton Tennessee, which is where I'm from in, in ah, Hayward County, okay. a brilliant woman in her own right. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- th- there are so many stories about us that are untold. Mm. And now we have so many more platforms, so many more ways that we can tell those stories. So I'm hopeful and and I'm hopeful also for being able to um to work with the next generation of young professionals um, as, as an instructor. So mm-hmm. encouraging them to, to tell those stories. I, I, in fact, I teach a, a digital storytelling class where they go. produce their own documentaries. So. There we go. Well, well, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. I'm dead serious about having you back on. It's great to learn okay. from you uh, and to think with you uh, with, with our community. We really appreciate you coming on this evening. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.